Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode. We really appreciate you joining us. This podcast really shows us how we can all learn, live, and thrive off of each other. By sharing our knowledge through our conversations, we will impart some knowledge whilst learning ourselves how to progress even further. Here is your host, Laurie Itahosa. time for people's relationships to thrive. I think that um, this whole lockdown COVID-19 experience that we're having around the world um, has given us a unique opportunity to build on our friendship, to build in our trust, to build in our commitment with one another. And I think that it's um, it's an interesting season. Uh, relationships that uh, maybe were too physical before uh, now have an opportunity to step back and be less physical and be more intimate in other ways um, through communication, through, um, through so many other uh, ways of, of building uh, your capacity in your relationships. So I think, it's a, I think it's a blessing in disguise. It all depends on how you see it. It all depends on how you believe that uh, it's affecting you. If you think that it's destroyed your relationship, then maybe your relationship needed to be destroyed <laughs> because if you can't stand um, three months or two months of lockdown, then I'm wondering how you're going to stand marriage where there's all kinds of forms of lockdown inside of marriages. You know, there's times that inside your marriage, you're not going to be able to be in the same physical location with your spouse or maybe you have to be um, sexually distanced for a period because of a pregnancy or a complication or for some reason. So. This is a great time to uh, build your other parts of intimacy in your friendship. I like that. Yeah. It's really useful because obviously a lot of people have like, broken up, so people don't have to see each other. So it has been like a test you know, to kind of understand what people's relationship has actually been based on to begin with. And yeah, having the right foundation is really essential. So for those who want to like get married, is there a right way to prepare? Like how can Okay, well, I'll start with um, getting married um, COVID-19 way uh, <laughs> because I have a lot of friends that have gotten married in the last couple of months. And um, they, they were engaged, they had May weddings planned, they had March, April weddings planned, and they decided to go about it digitally and it worked fantastic for them. Um, in fact, they saved a lot of money. They were able to get a lot of their deposits back from the various organizations where they made deposits and they still were able to meet their goal of getting married, which at the end of the day is, is the goal of being with somebody as your spouse. So yes, um, they can still get married during the time of COVID-19. Those, those that are in Africa uh, might have a unique uh, situation because of the cultural need to have a uh, traditional marriage or, or a native law and custom marriage. But even those native law and custom marriages if you monetize it at this time when everybody's hungry, trust me, everybody will be happy. So there's, a, <laughs> there's lots of ways around it. That's 
time, like, you have a lot of time to prepare, to, you know, better yourself. So what are some of the things that, you know, as individuals, we can actually do to better ourselves as individuals in general? Well, a lot of times I tell people in terms of relationship and bettering themselves in terms of relationship is look out for the things that you want in a future spouse, especially for the singles. Look out for those ideal characteristics. Make a list. There's nothing wrong with making a list. Um, make a list and then your list probably reflects areas in your own life where you need to work on. So if your list includes being a great communicator or being romantic or uh, being financially stable uh, or whatever the case may be, it might mean that you need to have those areas under better control so that you can contribute that to the marriage and not just look for it from your future spouse. So I encourage singles to go ahead and make that list and then after they're done making the list objectively, turn that list onto themselves and say, oh, am I these things that I'm looking for? And that can be a great way that you can start um, identifying how you can improve or where you can improve on yourself uh, in preparation for marriage. Because trust me, um, it's all over the place. I mean, you can say, okay, now we can uh, work on our fitness. Now we can work on our finance. Now we, all those things are good and great, but you need to look at what particularly is important to you. What are your values? What are the things that are, that are on the top of your list of essentials? And those are the things that you should in turn try to um, improve in your own life. <laughs> is it now okay to settle when you feel like you haven't basically described Jesus? <laughs> um, yeah, so once you, once you make these grandiose lists, then you can also pare it down to what's absolutely essential. I mean, it's certainly not essential to have a seven-foot-tall man. Uh, <laughs> or a woman, if that's the case. Maybe a guy wants a really tall woman. Uh, but you go back and you look at what's absolutely essential, and then you, you narrow it down and you say, you know what, these are the things that I can't, I, I can't live without. I can't live without somebody who's God-fearing. I can't live without somebody who has a strong moral compass. I can't live without somebody who is romantic towards me and is, is, is careful and calm and gentle. Those are things that I need. I can't live without somebody who understands that physical abuse is an abuse of power um, and doesn't see that as an acceptable way to manage a challenge in a relationship. So you go through and you, you choose the essential things and then you put the other things kind of on your um, wish list. Now, I had these lists and uh, my husband actually met up with a lot of the things that were on my list, but there were a few things that he didn't meet up with. And interestingly enough, um, those things that he didn't meet up with um, turned out to be things that were kind of important to me later. And I, I wished that I had been a little bit more vocal with him and said, you know, sweetheart, this is what I'm expecting out of you as a husband early on so that, he, so that later when I expressed my disappointment in certain areas, it didn't take him by surprise. And he wasn't like, well, I never knew that was important to you. Um, so these lists can also guide us in our relationships to talk with our uh, future spouses about the things that we value and the things that we deem as important because they won't know if we don't tell them. That's true. So 
breakers are basically deal makers. <laughs> yeah. Now, when it comes to deal breakers, I think that deal breakers are great before marriage. But after marriage, I'm a big, um, I, I believe that there should be no deal breakers inside marriage. That once you say for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, or in, as a lot of churches say, sickness or health and health, or whatever they say, <laughs> um, um, just to be whatever correct confessions or whatever the case may be. Um, once you make those vows and those commitments, that thing um, should be airtight. And you should be able to say, you know what, sweetheart, even if you cheat on me, I'm going to stay loyal to you. Even if you do the... And those, those words can put somebody in check big time where they're like, whoa, that means I have to be really responsible because there's no back door in this relationship. So yeah, no deal breakers inside marriage because then if there's, if there's a deal breaker, then there's always a way out. And I don't think that we should get into marriage with a way out. I think we should get into marriage believing that this is forever uh, without that uh, backdoor policy of saying, but if you do this, I'm done. Um, because then chances are, you know, they always say what you fear the most will come upon you. Um, chances are, whatever your deal breaker is will probably be something that you're going to get uh, faced with at some point in the marriage. Exactly, which is why it's you know important to make the right of choice to begin with anyway. Someone Absolutely. actually asked me some time ago, like, um, there's a guy in their church, but their, their pastor thinks it's okay, but they themselves aren't sure. And obviously, you're a pastor, so what would you advise in that kind of situation? Yeah, so I, I love when pastors are really involved in their members to the point where they know them well enough to be able to help guide them in their relationships. I think that's a very healthy relationship. It's good to be known by your pastors. It's good to be known by the people who you're giving spiritual authority in your life. And I commend people that have a personal relationship with their pastor to the point where they can tell their pastor, I'm dating such and such a person, or I'm interested in marrying such and such a person. And the pastor you know, chimes in and they respect that opinion. I think that that's a healthy place to be. However, um, at the end of the day, the pastor is not gonna be the one living in the marriage. Um, and many pastors reject certain suitors um, for women or for men um, based on um, reasons that are selfish. Um, maybe because they have a cousin who they'd like to see you marry, or they have somebody else that they think you'd be better suited with. Many times pastors are just men or just women. They don't always pray. They don't always seek the will of God. They don't always seek the timing of God. Many of them are, are just... Um, human just like the rest of us in fact all of them are human sorry to break some people's belief all, all pastors are human um so they're they're prone to mistakes they're prone to error and so i think it's important that we um are cautious in in how much uh we put into that i think we should listen and we should listen carefully and we should take their advice and many times they do see for us where we can't see Many times they do have an insight that you might have. Um, for example, I'm a pastor of a congregation that's relatively young. Most of my, I'd say 60% of my members are single. And so as a pastor, I have an opportunity to hear from a lot of my members, um, Pastor Laurie, this is the guy that I like. And I might have privileged information. 
I might know that right now that guy has another girl pregnant. Or I might know that that guy is also seeing another girl in the choir. And I can't tell you that. I can't give you that kind of information because that's breaking confidentiality. But I can tell you, hold on. Put on the brakes. Be careful. Open your eyes. And in that, hopefully, um, they'll see reason. But some of them don't. And they move ahead. And then we deal with the breakups. <laughs> If a couple is ready to get married, well, I think um, I think hopefully before they get to that place where they say I'm ready to get married, um, they're at a place where they really know one another. Um, it should have gone beyond physical attraction and chemistry, and should have gone into a much deeper um, connection of friendship and loyalty, commitment, trust, and all those things. Uh, but once a couple says that they're ready to get married, at that point. Um, I believe in the importance of having family consent. I don't believe that family consent is 100% a, um, a must-have, but I believe that family consent is important if you can get it. Um, I encourage couples, if you, can, if you can get your families on board, then you're in a good place. Um, you know, because it's really, unfortunately, hell on earth for a lot of couples that get into marriage and they don't have that family consent ahead of time. You know, where the father tells the daughter, this guy is not, no way, you're not marrying this guy. Or if the mother tells the son, um, I don't like this girl for you. Um, guess what? Um, she's in for a really rough ride in that marriage because um, she's gonna be in an uphill battle, you know, fighting for the love and the acceptance of her in-laws. So I think that it's important for um, family consent, family discussions. Uh, and then I also think it's important to ascertain your uh, financial preparedness. I don't think you have to be all together financially before you're married, but I do think that you need to be to a place where you no longer have to depend on your parents, especially for people whose parents are well-to-do. Um, and that tendency is very strong to still depend on parents that are well-to-do. I mean, I think I'm in that boat. Uh, my parents were very strong financially, and, um, and I had to say, I'm gonna live within our means, within our marriage, and not call daddy every time I wanna fly business class, or I want to go to some exotic location, or um, I wanna do this or that. Uh, financial preparedness was important. And I think financial separation is important. To, like that's why the scripture says a man should leave his father and mother and should join himself to his wife and the two should become one flesh um, that becoming one flesh also means financially one flesh and so look at your financial preparedness look at your emotional preparedness can you handle the um, things that come along with marriage a lot comes with marriage emotionally your self-esteem in many cases gets tied up into what someone else thinks about you and so many other things. Um, so I think there's a lot that you can do to start uh, working towards it. I firmly believe in premarital counseling. Um, I believe that every couple that is serious about getting married should start premarriage counseling. They should um, get books that discuss um, 
that, that guide you in questions. I mean, I remember when I was single, um, getting married to Feb, we had some books that guided us into some questions. And I mean, they were things I never thought to ask him. And then when I asked him, I was shocked by the answers that I got. And so was he, he was equally shocked. And we had been best friends since we were 13 and 14 years old, but we had just never discussed certain topics. So getting, um, getting wise counsel, going through pre-marriage books, getting pre-marriage counseling, all these are things that are definitely helpful in making sure that you're prepared before you walk down that aisle and say the emphatic, I do. I absolutely agree. You know, many people may not know this, but I also had to do marriage counseling to do it because obviously like you mentioned you speak to your parents you inform them you know get their consent and then you know my dad also directed us that we should go see our pastor so mm. that's what we do in um nation as well you're supposed to do your advice to speak to your pastor and which is what we did too so no one is exempt from that if we have to you should do <laughs> yeah and then just like you said financial preparedness um someone literally just asked as well should they marry someone a guy specifically that's a great question if you're ready to accept his debt and the two of you are ready to work through that and you have a financial plan and you're ready to agree to that financial plan then it's it's not necessarily a deal breaker um, people go into debt for all kinds of reasons um, some people, their debt has to do with um, real estate and properties and investments, and they have mortgages, but their, their debt is heavy, but their debt is tied to income. So I think some, you know, you have to really analyze the debt, and um, some of it is school loans, that, you know, there's a system in place already to repay the school loans, and some of those systems are 20-year plans. Um, does that mean that that person should withhold getting married for 20 years until his school loans are paid off? Not necessarily. Um, so you really need to look at the kind of debt and, um, and then come into an agreement uh, for a, a payment plan that the two of you can agree on. And I had a lot of debt when I got married. Um, I was a real estate investor, and so I had loads of debt um, that was based on real estate properties. But my income was paying all my debts because I had rental, I had rentals, I had people that were there. So um, we discussed my debt. I told my husband everything I was owing, and um, and it was it turned out to be a no a no brainer for him because the income well exceeded the um, the debt ratio, and we were actually able to live off of some of that rental income for a period of time, and then even able to liquidate some of those properties. So. Um, you really have to analyze the debt before you can make that decision. Fantastic. So we're going to talk about marriage, really. For you, specifically, was it what you expected? Or has it been? Huh, marriage. Uh, <laughs> marriage is never what you expect it to be. I think you can plan, you can prepare, you can talk, you can counsel, you can do everything. But until you get in it and you live it, um, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> so for me, no, marriage was not what I expected it to be. Um, and for, interesting for me, I expected my husband to behave more like my dad. And I think I had to start taking those, um, expectations off of him at a point because he's not my dad and he's not going to respond like my dad or, um, he's a completely different person. So... I, I had to um, I had to change some of my um, 
my my expectations and not put such unrealistic demands on him because I was and I was frustrated with him. I remember being so frustrated early on and even saying I wanted to leave. In my one year of marriage, I, in my first year of marriage, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, I'm out, I'm going back to America. And um, thank God I didn't leave and thank God I'm still there. Um, but yeah, it's never, it's never what you expect. And um, no matter how much pre-work you do, um, you're all gonna have to, uh, to work out your own marriage and, um, and make it happen for yourself. So don't get frustrated if it's not what you expect. It's not what anybody expects. So how were you able to adjust? Yeah, so for me, I had to adjust myself. I had to stop trying to change him and I had to change me. Because in the beginning, I was so hell-bent. Sorry if I'm allowed to say hell-bent. I was so, so hell-bent on changing him that I wasn't looking in the mirror and trying to figure out how to change myself. And I realized that a lot of the problems that we were experiencing were my problem and not his. And so, yeah, I had to work on me. I had to um, adjust my attitudes. I had to... Interesting, because I married somebody from a different culture, a different country, a different race, and all of that. And I moved from America to live in Benin City, Nigeria. And I had to change my mentality and tell myself that, Laurie, you're not coming here as a missionary. You're coming here as a wife. And so you can't look at this country. You can't look at this environment or this family or whatever the case may be from the perspective of a visiting missionary, from the perspective of somebody who is here temporarily and is going to be off to another assignment another day. Um, you have to see this as being permanent. And, and that was something I had to adjust within myself. And I think that when you're adjusting in early marriage, um, it's important that you look more inward than outward. And when you start fixing what's going on inwardly, you'll find that what you're looking for in the other person many times gets fixed as well. Just because you've changed. <laughs> <laughs> so I know like me, I spent a lot of time all my own, right? So after I went to university, it was like five years, five hours away. Um, then I went to America to study in Virginia, and then coming back, I lived on my own. So I was so used to like cooking for myself. Yeah. Exactly.
Okay, so submission for the lady is actually a blessing, and I, I wish we would see it as what it is. Because, I mean, I'm not one of these people who likes to shirk responsibility, but um, on the submission side, you can kind of submit, which means to arrange yourself under. So another way of saying is you can duck and let whatever's happening uh, hit him instead of you. So if you see, if you see submission as, um, as a blessing, then, uh, then your perspective will really change. But the truth is, um, the Bible talks about submit yourselves one to another in love. And so submission really goes both ways. It's not just um, the woman submitting to the man and the man having an authoritarian hold on her. I believe that submission is go goes both ways according to the word of God. And sometimes he yields to your way and your idea and your thought. And sometimes you have to yield to his. Um, but but submission is, is, is a unique thing that I believe is a mutual. When, when submission is mutual, it's healthier in a relationship. And then if you look at the Bible where it talks about wives submit yourselves to your husband, I think it's in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, it's interesting. There's just one verse or so about the wives submitting to their husbands, but it tells the husbands to love your wives. And when there's unconditional love and when there's um, love that's not selfish, when there's love that's self-sacrificing and that's giving like the love of Christ, uh, where husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, when there's that kind of love, then submission is really not an issue. Um, when I think about submission to Christ, for example, um, like it says, we love him because he first loved us. We submit to him because he's a good God. He's a merciful God. He's a forgiving God. We know that God's never going to turn his back on us um, just because we failed or we faltered in one area or another. So that makes me run into the presence of God, not run away from it. And so the more that we understand the goodness of God, the more we want to submit to him. The more that we experience the goodness of our husbands, the more we want to submit to them. So I think that the, the responsibility still lies on the man to show his goodness, to show his love, to show his mercy, to show his grace, to show his loving kindness, to show the nature of Christ to us as women. And the more that they show us the nature of Christ, the more we're going to throw our whole body, soul, and mind into wanting to submit to them. on how to find a godly man? Yeah. So I would say first, be a godly woman. I think, um, you know, don't look for a man who's pure and is living a holy life if you're not pure and living a holy life. Don't um, look for somebody to be what you're not because we attract what we are. So if you're a woman of the word, if you're a woman who prays, if you're a woman who studies the word, if you're a woman who worships, if you're a woman who connects to God and connects to, to believers that are building you up in the faith, then you will attract your own kind. So if you're only attracting men who are abusive, men who are harsh, men who don't fear God, men who are dating five women at the same time, then chances are you're probably doing the same thing. So um, we, we are what we attract. So 
you'll attract a godly man if you're a godly woman. And, um, and that's, that's what I really want to... And, and if you're really a godly woman, then it'll be hard to attract an ungodly man because an ungodly man really does not want to be with a God-fearing woman. He wants to be a woman who's going to let him slip and slide in and out of responsibility. So, um, yeah, he's not going to want you if you're, if you're not God. If you're, so, yeah, we attract what we are. What can make marriage better? Um, I really think that there's, there's three major things that affect marriages. And I read this in a book uh, by somebody named Ed Cole back when I was, uh, before I was married in my early 20s. Um, he, he wrote a book and he talked about the three major things that affected marriage, affects marriage. And he said, it's communication, it's sex, and it's money. So if you want your marriage to be better, improve your communication, learn how to talk. Talk is a two-way street. Communication is not one way. Communication is not, I talk, and, um, and when I'm done talking, I wait to figure out what I'm going to say next. It's I talk, then I listen, then I repeat back to you what I heard you say, because chances are my impression of what you said is not necessarily what you were trying to say. And so communication, just like it is with God, in our relationship with God, our communication is a two-way street. We have to build up ourselves and our spiritual life so that we can understand the things of the Spirit and understand how to hear the voice of God. You don't, you don't start hearing the voice of God the first time you pray. You, you hear the voice of God the more that you exercise your spiritual muscles. And the same thing with our communication in our marriages. So communication being a two-way street, repeat back, Listen, repeat back, and work until you get whatever concept you're trying to communicate, until you're making sure that there's understanding on both sides. So that's communication. Um, and there's a lot more involved in communication that we could talk about, of course. It's an inexhaustible uh, subject. But the second would be sex. Um, sex is very important in a marriage relationship. Um, it's an important way to communicate intimacy, desire, uh, which are all um, essential parts of a marriage. The person has to know that you want them. They have to know that you find them sexually attractive and that you're um, driven for them sexually. And so I think that the sexual relationship needs to be focused on in marriage. You have to, you have to ask yourself the question of, am I meeting your needs sexually? Do you need it more than what I'm giving it? Or vice versa, do I need it more than what you're giving it? Um, and make sure that you're matching each other's sexual um, desires. Um, and make sure that you're, you're satisfying one another sexually. There might be things that a couple, a man is doing that he thinks maybe he was sexually active before his wife. And this is what his ex-girlfriends used to love him to do. And every time he did this on his ex-girlfriends, they went crazy. Well, his wife might not particularly like that. That might not be her thing. And so he's thinking that he's being a superstar by doing this particular sexual thing. And she's just like, you have not impressed me at all. So sexual communication is so important in marriage. And, and sexual communication without fear, without fear of hurting one another and having a safe space where you can talk and say, honey, I like this or honey, I don't like this. Um, very, very important. 
And then, um, of course, uh, the other one is money, and I think we touched a little bit on it already. Um, but money is important. You have to, um, to improve your marriage, you guys have to have agreement in the area of finance. How much are we going to spend? What's our family budget? What are the things that are important to us and essential to us? And what are the things that are not important or essential to us? All those things are, are critical to discuss um, to help improve your marriage. So if you're finding that, um, that the, the money is not working, go back to the drawing book and say, okay, tell me. Tell me what I'm not doing right financially. Maybe you're supposed, to, maybe in your marriage you want to have separate accounts, or maybe you want to have joint accounts. There's so many different models that work. I mean, I can tell you our model, but our model may not be what works for you. And so each, each couple has to come up with their own model that works for them. If it can be decided on before marriage, fantastic. But it probably has to be fine-tuned even after marriage. Because what you thought you agreed on may not be your actual experience. Because you might have said before marriage something like, um, you know, honey, I don't think we need to buy, uh, spend a lot of money on non-essentials. And what she hears is, we don't need to buy a Lamborghini. That doesn't affect the Fendi bag. You know, she might still be going out and buying the Fendi bag. And you're like, but I thought I said non-essentials. And she's like, well, the Fendi bag is essential. Don't you know where I work? Don't you know the people that I associate with? I have to have a Fendi bag. So yeah, communication, sex, money, all these things are dynamic and have to be revisited often when it comes to marriage. Awesome, Lori, thank you so much. Thank you. I love you too. I've enjoyed being with you tonight. This week's episode has come to an end. But the fun doesn't have to stop here. If you have any questions, suggestions or feedback, head over right now to Twitter and Facebook and like, share and get involved. Join us next time.